science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. So tell me, what would you find inside a tantalus? And in 1994, why was paprika banned from stores and markets in Hungary? If you know the answer to either of those questions, you give us a call at 514-790-0800, or you can text your questions and comments to 514-800. I'm Joe Schwartz. I direct McGill University's Office for Science and Society. And uh, every Sunday afternoon, I chat with you here and uh, we do what we normally do through our office. We discuss sense and nonsense and separating the two. And of course, I also like to pose questions to you guys as I just did, because each one of those questions does bring up an interesting story. Uh, I'd like to welcome a, a bunch of new listeners uh, who uh, I met just this past week in Guelph, Ontario where I was uh, invited to uh, give a keynote address to the uh, KEMED 2023 conference. It's an annual conference. It rotates around North America. And it's always a pleasure to speak to people who are so dedicated to education as those teachers are. So uh, certainly I welcome all of you who may be listening for the first time from wherever you are uh, in the world, because we do in fact have listeners all the way from New Zealand up into the Yukon. Well, there's a story that uh, emerged this past week that I do need to address. And uh, this is about borax. <laughs> Why are we talking about borax? Because they are talking about it on TikTok. And, uh, these short videos on TikTok tell people that they should be drinking borax for health benefits. This is a dangerous advice. It is totally nonsensical, as much of the stuff that you see on TikTok is. But uh, the fact is that people do listen and they do some of the things that they urge to do on TikTok because they're not critical thinkers. They just buy into all of this stuff. And we know that they are buying in because poison control centers across North America have been reporting more cases of poisoning by borax this year than ever before. Uh, so I thought it would be interesting to give you just a touch of a background about borax and make sure that you understand that drinking this stuff is not a good idea. Well, the so-called age of borax did not begin until 1870, when huge natural deposits were found in the Nevada desert. It was there for the taking. All that was needed was a shovel. But why take it? Because borax, chemically known as sodium borate, when added to the mix of sand, limestone, and soda that is used to make glass, uh, well, the addition of borax improves the flow properties of this melt and makes for stronger glass. So soon prospectors were crawling all over the desert to search for 
the best deposits of the mineral. The borax rush was on, and there was a find in Death Valley. It was a major one, but there was a problem. How could the huge amounts of borax be moved out of the desert without a railroad link? The inventive William Coleman came up with the idea of gigantic wagons drawn by a 20-mule team. Finally loaded, they weighed 32,000 pounds. Each had wheels seven feet high. The 20-day round trip through the desert to Mojave, the nearest railroad junction, was treacherous with temperatures exceeding 45 degrees Celsius. Nevertheless, in six years, 20 million pounds of borax were moved out by the 20 mule teams. This was more borax than the world needed, and Coleman eventually went bankrupt. It was at this point that F.M. Borax Smith entered the picture and resuscitated the company with his imaginative ideas. He was going to make borax a household stable. Soon, advertisements hyped the product as a complexion aid, a milk preservative, a cure for epilepsy and bunions, and an additive for bathwater and carriage washes. The latter claim proved to be sound. Borax binds minerals, which can interfere with the cleaning action of soaps and detergents. Indeed, borax is widely used in laundry products to this day. Of course, you're familiar with the name 20 Mule Team Borax. If you want to improve the appearance of your laundry and cut down on detergent use, just add about a third of a cup of borax to each load. A quarter cup of borax dissolved in two cups of water is also a great spot remover for carpets. Most of the world's supply of borax now comes from gigantic open pit mine in California, near a town that has been appropriately named Boron. There are now myriad uses for the material which started its technological life as a gold flux because it made gold melt more easily and it could be formulated into jewelry. It is now used to make glass for car headlights, enamel for stoves and refrigerators, ceramic tiles, antiseptics, bleach for unbleachables, weed killers, and fertilizers. Thin fibers made from elemental boron are used to reinforce resins destined for aircraft and space vehicle parts. Boric acid, which is made from borax, can be used to control cockroaches. A bait made with flour and sugar and boric acid is likely to be their last supper. Even if they choose not to dine, the crystals of boric acid stick to the exoskeleton and rub away the oily protective layer. The creatures dehydrate and die and suffer a similar fate. And so will people who drink borax. This is not something to do. And some of these videos really give ludicrous advice referencing boron as an essential nutrient and therefore the benefits of drinking borax. Well, borax does contain boron and boron is indeed an effective nutrient. We need small amounts of it to structure our bones. But only morons will think of drinking boron-containing uh, substances. This is highly toxic. Do not do this. Ignore any of those TikTok videos that urge you or others to drink borax. It is great for using in your laundry, good as a spot remover, not good for your health.
there is one interesting use of uh, of uh, borax, and uh, we make use of it in that way in our chemistry labs, because when you mix uh, borax with polyvinyl uh, alcohol, it creates something that has come to be known as slime. Polyvinyl alcohol is a is a polymer. It's a long molecule, and the long chains of these molecules can be laced together using borax, and that then gives it a totally different consistency. And in fact, you can buy slime in, in toy stores, and it is made exactly the way that I said. Or you can even make your own by taking some Elmer's glue, uh, which is uh, made of polyvinyl alcohol, mixing it with borax, and you can make your own slime. There are numerous recipes uh, on the web for doing that. But even with that, you have to be careful because borax can also be a skin irritant. So uh, any um, kids who are trying to make slime at home have to follow instructions exactly, and you certainly want to be using gloves when you do it. Uh, there's a slime craze, I know, uh, because it just seems to be fun to making this at home and pulling it and tugging it and manipulating it. Do not, do not eat the slime, and also be careful with any use of borax because it can corrode your insides and it can also harm your outsides. So that's the advice now about this silly video going around on TikTok, TikTok about consuming borax. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. We'll be right back. Life's Everyday Mysteries Solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. You know, as soon as I ask my questions, I tend to look over at my screen that displays the text messages. And I always expect to see James because James knows everything. He always has an answer. And indeed, I look over and I do have a text from James, but it's not to do with an answer. He says, you mentioned the Hungarian cake as your favorite this AM. Can you repeat the name of it? Yes, I, I talked about Dobos cake, D-O-B-O-S, which is a, a famous Hungarian cake. It's a layered cake. Uh, with uh, uh, layers of pastry separated by uh, sort of a, a creamy uh, chocolate. And on top of it, it has a orange sugar glaze. And uh, actually, there's an interesting story about this because the cake is named after a chef whose name was Dobos, D-O-B-O-S. And uh, a few years ago, I was in Vancouver and I was actually looking for a Hungarian restaurant, and I, I found one. And as I was all about to walk in, I see a sign on the, um, uh, in, the, in the window of the, of the restaurant. It says, we now have hung Hungarian drummer cake. Well, for any of you who speak Hungarian, you know the, the humor of that, because Dobos in Hungarian means drummer. So they translated the name of the chef to drummer. Anyway, that's my story about Dobos cake. And now um, James can go on to answer my question about what you would find inside a tantalus or why in 1990, 
four, paprika was banned from stores and markets in Hungary. And obviously, that caused great concern. I also had a, a, a question uh, about what my opinion is about all this business, about the recent talks of UFOs, or as now they are called UAPs, Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena, and uh, you know the the uh, uh, witnesses <laughs> being questioned, you know, in in the U.S. Congress. Now I say witnesses. I you know I say that with a lot of air quotes around it because they have not witnessed anything. Uh, all we have is their word, and just because someone testifies in front of Congress doesn't mean anything. Anyone can testify there, and and in fact that that. Uh, uh, August's body uh, has uh, a lot of people in it who would be willing to buy into all kinds of nonsense about, uh, you know, the, U the U.S. government hiding things. Uh, you know, I mean, you have people like uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and George uh, Santos, who, who uh, whose brains, if they have any need, a lot of oiling, uh, who would, you know, probably buy into this kind of stuff. But in science, we look for evidence. And the only evidence we have is that people really do see unidentified or anomalous phenomena. But that does not mean that these are coming from uh, alien civilizations. That is extremely, extremely unlikely. And furthermore, you know, how is it that they can um, come right across space without any, any signs of them being detected but only people who have these experiences here on Earth see them when they are close to Earth. How do they traverse space without being detected by all the sophisticated military and civilian equipment? There are amateur astronomers who are scanning every corner of the sky 24 hours a day, and surely they would have noticed spaceships flying uh, our way. Uh, I think we we can take for granted that there's no other form of uh, life within our solar system. So we have to go elsewhere. And the potential planets where there could be life, and there certainly could be, are so far away, they are light years away, that it is pretty well inconceivable that they could be visiting us. And if they were visiting us, they would have very sophisticated, advanced technologies. They would have nothing to fear from us. Why would they be hiding from us? Why would they not present uh, uh, themselves? And how come they never leave behind any kind of physical evidence uh, whatsoever? Well, that being said, I, I think I, I also have to say that it is extremely unlikely that life has evolved only on this insignificant little planet we call Earth, in this insignificant galaxy we call the Milky Way, when there are trillions of stars out there with multi-trillions of planets rotating around them. Surely there must be life that evolved on some of those, but that's just thinking. We don't have any evidence the only evidence for life is right here on Earth, and one cannot extrapolate from a single point. You cannot draw a graph from a single point. And right now, it is the single point that we have to work with. And let me tell you that if indeed 
we were somehow to make contact with another civilization, it would be a great day for science. There would be no need to hide this. I mean, scientists and, and uh, would rejoice around the world. They would not be in collusion with any government to try to hide this. So I think uh, it is absolute uh, nonsense and that uh, uh, asking someone to testify in front of Congress on hearsay without presenting one iota of evidence is really not, uh, not justified. All right. Uh, I do have uh, an answer to my uh, question about what a tantalus is. Yes, and uh, it's one of our uh, other regular listeners, uh, dentist, uh, Dr. Riley, who came up with that. Uh, indeed, a tantalus is a, a, a small wooden cabinet uh, that contains uh, two or three spirit decanters, uh, whiskey, scotch, whatever. And its defining feature is that it has a lock and a key. And the aim of using a tantalus was to stop unauthorized people from drinking the contents, especially servants and younger people. Uh, and this was uh, a feature in many uh, Victorian salons. And uh, so it would still allow these nice crystal decanters to be displayed, but it would have to be unlocked so that it could be tilted to dispense a glass of the, uh, of the contents. And the name is a reference to the unsatisfied temptations of the Greek mythological character Tantalus, who was condemned to stand in a pool of water which receded every time he tried to drink and with overhanging branches of fruit which pulled back whenever he tried to eat. Why did this happen? Because he displeased Zeus, the god of the gods. And of course, today, our word to tantalize comes also from uh, that Greek mythological character. And now you know what a tantalus is all about. And I, I think you may be able to see some of these things in antique stores. Uh, and uh, they some of them are beautifully uh, constructed. Uh, nicely carved out of wood, and they feature uh, very, very pretty uh, decanters. Okay, uh, let me just check if we have answered to my um, other question uh, uh, about why in 1994 paprika was banned from stores and markets in Hungary, and so far that seems to have defied uh, people finding an answer. Uh Okay, Jerry tells us, oops, he forgot to mention the lock and key to prevent author unauthorized use of the uh, tantalus, but we'll forgive him because he did, in fact, get the, uh, the cancer uh, correct. Uh, the witness in Congress, Nick tells me, another one of our regular listeners, spoke of non-human remains, third hand, of course. Uh, yeah, third hand. I mean, uh, second hand is meaningless. Never mind uh, third hand. And I'm not sure what this non-human remains uh, means. And uh, it's, it's just, uh, I, I find it truly amazing that they allow people to, to come in and, uh, you know, hold forth in front of uh, uh, Congress 
on on the interesting phenomena, but without one iota of evidence. Well, you know, they also did have uh, Robert Kennedy testify in front of Congress about his absurd uh, views about uh, uh, sex dysphoria because there are chemicals in water that are making people gay or trans sex. And of course, his ridiculous views on, on vaccination. So a lot of things that are said in front of U.S. Congress that don't deserve to be said there. If you're listening to Dr. Joshua, we'll be right back. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Well, uh, we're back to the paprika story, and Nick, oh, Nick, 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 Nick is Hungarian, and yet he supposes that the problem was paprika that was, quote, stretched with pulverized bricks. No, it was not pulverized bricks. Neither was it banned because of any aflatoxin contamination, as Jerry thinks. So this question is still out there. 1994, panic in Hungary, paprika banned from stores, banned from markets. Paprika is used extensively in Hungarian cooking. This was a huge concern. What happened? It was a major story, 1994, a story that made headlines around the world. So come on, guys, let's get this right. Okay. Back to the 1800s, i tell you a little bit about soda fountains. Soda fountains were introduced by uh, a British transplant to America by the name of John Matthews. Now, soda water was already available at that time. It, it, it was pretty widely known in, in Europe uh, because, of course, water from natural springs that were carbonated uh, was a, a feature since the time of the Romans. People thought that drinking the bubbly water would be healthy. Well, in many cases, it was healthy because at least it was cleaner than the stuff that they would be pumping up from, uh, you know, the rivers that uh, had sewage going into them. Um, there were ways to make carbonated water by mixing uh, calcium carbonate, that's marble with sulfuric acid. There was a device called the Nuth apparatus, uh, which consisted of three globes. You would put the reagents in one globe, the bubbling uh, gas would go through the, another one, and the carbonated water would be stored in the third globe, and it could be poured off. So those things were, were known. But uh, John Matthews thought that uh, he wanted to scale up production to make soda water available to the masses. And his invention was a soda fountain. And this was a beautifully crafted piece of equipment that incorporated a large cast iron container in which carbon dioxide was produced under pressure by mixing together uh, basically marble, which was calcium carbonate, and sulfuric acid. 
and then this um, uh, pressurized uh, beverage would be dispensed when a soda jerk would jerk a handle on the uh, machine, the soda fountain machine, and out would come the soda water. It was often mixed with some sort of flavoring agent, and uh, it was dispensed from counters. Many of those counters were in pharmacies, and uh, indeed, sometimes those pharmacies uh, even suggested that uh, the soda water had some sort of health uh, health benefit. So uh, today, of course, soda water is uh, around. It's, it's uh, very popular these days, as, as it should be in, uh, in terms of uh, preferring it to soft drinks that are either sweetened with artificial sweeteners or with sugar. And uh, there's no truth to the fact that uh, uh, carbonated water is uh, damaging to the teeth. The contact time is too little, even though when carbon dioxide dissolves in water, it forms carbonic acid. But that is not acidic enough to have any kind of effect on, uh, on teeth. And uh, some of you may remember when soda water used to be delivered by seltzer men. And uh, it was delivered in the seltzer bottles, which had this ingenious spigot at the top. And that prevented the carbon dioxide from being lost. Uh, because, you know, when you have a, a bottle, uh, whether it's a soft drink or, or uh, just soda, once you open it, you lose the fizz if you can't cap it properly. Well, this uh, spigot on those bottles uh, prevented that. And because the, those bottles could withstand high pressure, they were made of very thick glass, you got a lot of carbon dioxide in there. So it was much more potent than the soda uh, today. And uh, this... Um, was something that was very popular in, in big cities, both in Europe and here. We had some seltzer men in, in Montreal, and they were very, very prevalent in, uh, in New York. There was even one in Toronto uh, who dispensed what was called Magda Water. That was the company that, that made it. I think that's not around anymore. But in New York, there still is a company called the Brooklyn Boys. And they still deliver seltzer water in the old-fashioned uh, seltzer uh, bottles. And those bottles are now very hard to come by. They've become collector's uh, items. Uh, most of them originally were made in Czechoslovakia. And they're very nicely uh, manufactured. They're very, very thick uh, glass. And uh, I have one. It very proudly sits on, uh, on one of the shelves in my uh, office. Uh, because I certainly remember using this when uh, when I was a kid. This is something that would sit on our dinner table uh, all the time. And you would spritz out the water. And if you would spritz it into a glass of wine, you had what was called a spritzer. And that was very popular in uh, uh, certainly in Hungary, but uh, uh, I suspect in the rest of Europe as uh, as well. All right, talking about Hungary, we are back to James, and yes, of course, he now has the right answer. The paprika was laced with lead oxide to enhance its color. That is true. And the, the problem with uh, paprika, paprika, of course, is dried red pepper that is ground up. And uh, it 
if it is old, even though it doesn't lose its flavor, uh, it does lose some of its color. And uh, lead oxide is red. And adding a little bit of red oxide to the paprika meant that the color could be maintained. Well, in 1994, a third of samples of paprika tested were found to be poisoned with lead oxide. And a drastic action was taken by the authorities in Hungary because nearly 50 people were hospitalized with stomach aches, paralysis of the limbs, and other symptoms of lead poisoning. And what had, what had happened is that the paprika had been spiked with lead oxide. And at that time, it was quite readily available because it was used to pigment red paints. And unscrupulous suppliers were heightening the color of the spice. Uh, the contaminated supplies were mostly from private producers, not the licensed paprika plants, which, uh, which were used uh, for exports. So there was never a problem in the, with the exported paprika. But internally, it was a huge scandal. And the interior minister at that time actually took charge of the whole investigation. And 59 suspects were rounded up and criminal proceedings were uh, unleashed against 37 of them. In the chatter in the markets, uh, it was believed that it was Romanians and Ukrainians who were responsible for the poisoning. And uh, that theory took hold because local merchants found it hard to believe that any Hungarian would adulterate what they called the nation's red gold. And indeed, Hungarians are the world's top consumers of paprika, 5,000 tons of it every year, which is roughly a pound per person. And that's, that's a lot of paprika. It's, of course, a staple in, in many, many foods, uh, especially in traditional uh, goulash. You can even sprinkle it on cheese. It adds a nice flavor to, to salads. It's a great spice. So now you know why in 1994, paprika was banned from stores and markets in Hungary. But uh, since then, we have not worried about that. And you can enjoy your uh, Hungarian paprika, which, of course, is better than any other paprika that you can buy. All right. So now we've got the answer to, to uh, those questions, which, of course, means that uh, you are due for another question. Where does the carbon dioxide that we use in soft drinks and in seltzer water, where does it come from? So where does the carbon dioxide that you have in your Coke, in your Pepsi, in your ginger ale, where does it come from? You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Grade A milk emulsified, maltodextrin alkalide, silicon dioxalite, lots of sugar. Hey, all right. Calcified synthetic salt, artificial barley malt, glycerin and aspartate, folic acid. That tastes great. Monosodium glutamate, dehydrated calcium. Okay, I've been a little negligent here, neglecting people on the line, so let's go to Hal. Hal. Well, uh, good afternoon, Dr. Joe. Thank you for taking my call. I. I always look forward to your Sunday afternoon talks. Very, very interesting and informative. I have a comment Thank about you. the paprika. Once again, in 2004, yeah. it was banned. And because it was discovered that uh, paprika products that were produced by three of the company of the country's leading manufacturers um, found uh, to contain a mold called uh, alpha toxin. 
So I don't know if you were aware of that. Uh, no, I'm not. That was a Hungarian uh, paprika? Yeah, Hungarian paprika. I found it on, really? a, on a oh. web link. Yeah, in 2004, October. And incidentally, our daughter was fortunate enough to travel to Budapest last summer. Uh, she went there with a uh, company to negotiate contract with uh, with the uh, Hungarian military. And she brought us back uh, three different kinds of paprika. One was a mild, one was a sweet and the other one was um, like a, a like a hot or a spicy, and uh, yeah, you want to be careful with the hot because it's very hot. You're right. Uh, that's it's the a, one that that's the one that lasted the longest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just okay, used I have a, a touch of I, a touch of I, that. Well, yeah, I have an answer for you uh, about okay. um, uh, carbon uh, dioxide. Well, it's taken from yes. natural wells, or it's uh, captured by as a byproduct of. Uh, fermentation process from wine and beer or uh, ammonia production so uh, that's how they they um well, you, you got you got one of them right which okay. is the and, ammonia process and the, the, the uh, it would it it would not be financially viable to capture it from fermenting beverages but you can indeed capture it uh, from the uh, exhaust of fossil fuel burning. And of course, that is done in power plants. So it is captured there. But most of the carbon dioxide that is used is a byproduct of uh, the manufacture of ammonia. And ammonia is one of the most widely manufactured chemicals in the world because, of course, it is used to, for conversion to ammonium nitrate, which is the world's most widely used fertilizer. And yeah. uh, the production of ammonia by the Haber process requires um, the uh, combination of nitrogen with hydrogen. And the hydrogen is produced from natural gas. And when you heat up natural gas with water, you get hydrogen, but carbon dioxide is a major byproduct. And that's what is captured and sold to the uh, companies. Yeah, and uh, Lind okay. is one yeah. of the world's leading uh, suppliers, I believe. Now, I have a question for you about uh, the soda yeah. stream uh, um, yeah. uh, carbonate, carbonated water. Why can cold water, we always keep refrigerated cold water in the fridge to uh, supply the, uh, the uh, soda stream. Uh, why right. does cold water absorb more CO2? Very good question. The, uh, the solubility of most substances increases with heat, right? If you dissolve sugar in hot water, it dissolves much more quickly than in cold water. But the opposite holds true for gases. Gases very easily escape from a solution when you heat the solution. So you want to keep a solution cold in order to keep the gas in solution. So indeed, whenever uh, anything that is carbonated is manufactured, you always want to keep it cold. When you're bubbling the carbon dioxide through a solution to carbonate it, the colder it is, the better it is, because it will prevent the CO2 from evaporating out of the solution. Okay, so your observation that's, is quite great. Your observation is quite correct that you should keep carbonated beverages cold if you want to maintain the carbonation. Yeah. Okay, good. And I wonder if you have a comment, Dr. Joe. Last night on the news, it was reported that uh, researchers, biologists up in Siberia, they uh, discovered uh, some worms that had thawed out in the tundra that they believe they carbon dated the, uh, the tundra 
and it was about 46,000 years old. And um, lo and behold, when the uh, worms were heated up, they came back to life. How is, how is that possible that uh, there was no tissue damage and that they survived such a long uh, hibernation? I don't know. I didn't see that report. I'd have to look into it. Uh, whether they actually know for sure that those <laughs> worms are that old, I, I don't know. Uh, but uh, I mean, uh, dryness and very cold temperatures uh, can prevent, you know, decomposition. But coming back to uh, that sounds uh, rather hard to believe. I have to look into it, it that. Was, to it see was exactly. covered on CTV News, so I, I, you know, I. Therefore, it must it be true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks for your answers there, Dr. Joe. And uh you Okay. Have a Thank you. Okay, I I will look into that wormy problem. You know, there's probably no name that is more strongly associated with predicting the future than that of the 16th century physician Nostradamus, who claimed to be able to predict the future through a combination of astrological study and divine inspiration. He would stare into bowls of fire or water, possibly under the influence of nutmeg, a mild hallucinogen, and he composed thousands of four-line verses known as quatrains that supposedly foretold coming events. The predictions are vague and the words can be twisted in any number of ways to fit an actual event. Nostradamus's hits are nothing more than the result of random chance and some creative interpretation. The usual technique of fortune tellers is to make lots of ambiguous predictions, some of which are likely to come through by chance. People remember the infrequent hits and forget the very frequent misses. When COVID-19 appeared, followers of Nostradamus' predictions delighted in pointing out that the sage had predicted this catastrophe, quote, there will be a twin year from and 2020 is a twin year, from which will arise a queen, I guess Corona, who will come from the East, China, and who will spread a plague, the virus, in the darkness of night on a country with seven hills, that's Italy, and will transform the twilight of men into dust, death, to destroy and ruin the world. It will be the end of the world economy as you know it. That sounds very compelling. There's a problem, though. Nostradamus never wrote this. What we have here is another example of the misinformation that has plagued just about every aspect of COVID-19. Actually predicting the future is a precarious venture. I have a crystal ball in my office. I can give it a shot. I'll now look into it. Oops. It's, even that's misinformation. It is actually a glass ball, not a crystal ball. Anyway doesn't tell me when, if ever, our life will go back to normal, although it's on its way. But I can look into the ball and make one prediction, even without chewing nutmeg seeds. The misinformation about COVID-19 will continue to flow unabated. Even Elon Musk has gotten into this game very hard to understand. I mean, Musk is certainly intelligent. I mean, you know, what he did with, with the car and with rocketry, uh, that's admirable. But now he is suggesting that the uh, unfortunate uh, uh, heart attack 
uh, of LeBron James's son that was experienced this week, although I think he's fine, he's out of the hospital and he's well on the road to recovery. Elon Musk is suggesting that this may be a complication of having been vaccinated uh, against COVID-19. He is saying this without any evidence. We know that there are very rare complications, uh, heart complications, uh, but uh, he's suggesting this without any kind of evidence about that, that uh, uh, young LeBron's son uh, was recently vaccinated. I mean, so, you know, this is, is just unverified conjecture. Anyway, misinformation. But I'll inform you that we are out of time. The hour has uh, flown by as it usually does. We'll be back with you same time, same station next week. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.